His love for us isn't contingent on us being lovely. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says in John. And he says, Israel, I've loved you. Oh, you've sinned, you've turned away from me, but I'm not done with you. And so this chapter outlines that he's going to claim them back. Verse 13, he says, Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And you think of all the mourning that's happened to Israel through the centuries, and all the hardship the nation has endured in their rebellion and unbelief. When God pulls them back, He says, I'm going to turn their mourning into joy. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible and turn to Romans 11, the 11th chapter of Romans. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed, the Bible says. You put your trust in the Lord, and you will not be disappointed. All of history will magnify God's glory as a God of mercy and a God who can be trusted. He performs on His Word. He says what He means, and He will accomplish what He has said He will. He keeps His promises. And I wonder, uh, if you're like me, sometimes you worry about that. I think, in fact, the essence of faith is to take him at his word. And we're tempted at times to wonder if he'll accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. And in fact, really, when you come to Christ, it's almost overwhelming when you realize the depth of your own sin and that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for you. Sometimes people will say, I can't believe it. And that's a natural response, and yet uh, God calls us to believe it. Take Him at His Word. And that's how you become a Christian. And then as you grow, it's a step-by-step process of taking Him at His Word, believing Him for what He says. Now, the book of Romans has laid out such tremendous truth, and you get to chapter 8, and Paul says, at the end of the chapter, he says, God is for us. Who could be against us? He didn't spare His own Son. He gave Him up for us all. He causes all things to work together for our good. In fact, nothing can separate us from His love. And I think if you're like me, I think every Christian gravitates toward that and we hang on to that tremendous truth that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we bask in His grace. But Paul didn't quit there there's something still hanging in his mind, and it is this. He has proclaimed this gospel throughout the Roman Empire, and there are those who say, yes, but that gospel contradicts God's promises to Israel. And apparently, if what Paul is saying is true, God is finished with Israel, or he's not going to perform on his promises to Israel. And nothing could be further from the truth. Paul spends three chapters explaining that. But if that's the case, if that were the case, why, if God doesn't perform on His promises to Israel, what can we say about His promises to us? You see, it begins to jeopardize the very security. If God can't be completely trusted, 
why then maybe even what we've said about chapter 8 and our lives is tenuous. Well, not at all. Paul explains for three chapters, and we've been looking at it. But you get to chapter 11, and we want to see that uh, he raises the question point blank. He says, well, then is God finished with Israel? I say then, verse 1, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be, he says. Verse 2, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. In fact, when it's all said and done, and chapters 9, 10, and 11 kind of sweep through history, when history comes to its conclusion, God will not only be known as the God of mercy, and He'll not only be known as the God who keeps His promises, He will still be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will be the God of Israel. In fact, Samuel called Him the glory of Israel. In Samuel 15, he said, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he's not a man that he should change his mind. That's why we rejoiced in it a couple weeks ago when he says in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You see, if, if Israel's salvation depended on Israel, they'd be consumed. But God does not change. He made a promise and he's going to fulfill it. And he says, therefore, sons of Jacob, you're not consumed. His changeless character is at stake, and it's so good for us to know. And one day soon he will be known, Isaiah 60, which is the context which is in Paul's mind uh, in, in Romans chapter 11. He says, in that day when he saves Israel, then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And all the world will know that. Now, we've seen that uh, Israel's unbelief was not total, verses 1 through 10, and it's not final, uh, verses 11, really on down through 32. In other words, their unbelief was partial and it's temporary. God is still going to work in them a new heart and He's going to save Israel. And He walks through this chapter and He says, listen, if Israel's unbelief brought blessing to the world... Think what Israel's acceptance will mean when I bring them back to myself. Just think of the blessing that will be upon the nations and the world at large. And he says, don't get arrogant. And we saw that last week. He says, don't in your Gentile mind start to think that God has set Israel aside. And that's the point where he's moving toward to show that God's going to finish what he started with Israel and that his promises are trustworthy. And so we'll pick it up at verse 25. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob." And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy 
because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, that he might show mercy to all. Now that is written, and I say it concludes what he's saying about Israel and the Gentile nations and God's great purpose to show us that his word is utterly reliable and that in fact he is the trustworthy one. And one day all of history will show not only is all mankind sinful, but that God is merciful and faithful to his promises. Now let's walk through it together. Starting at verse 25, he says, listen, I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Now, in Scripture, a mystery is not something, you know, mysterious. It is something that we wouldn't know if God didn't reveal it. And in particular, in the New Testament, uh, he describes mysteries as that which hadn't been revealed up to now, but now he's giving either the initial revelation or more detail. And so he says here, I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, lest you become arrogant and puffed up. He says, listen, there's been a partial hardening that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And he says, then the deliverer will come from Zion. Then, and he quotes Isaiah 59 in verse 26 and says, Then the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus referred to this whole time in Luke 21 as the times of the Gentiles. When Israel hardened their hearts and said, We don't want him. Crucify him. Why? nationally, Israel had been set aside. And in fact, Jesus said that they're going to come and destroy the city, and they did in A.D. 70. And throughout this whole era, Jerusalem has been trampled underfoot. It's been occupied and then liberated and then occupied, and it's just been a terrible record of of uh, wreckage for Israel throughout this whole era, and it will be so through when the Lord takes the church home and through the great time of tribulation called the time of Jacob's distress where Israel will be under real pressure until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, we're told here in verse 25, and then Christ will return. The Redeemer will come. And Jesus said, he called it the whole era, the times of the Gentiles. Zechariah speaks of it. He says, in typical prophetic language, he speaks of the shepherd being struck in verse 7 of chapter 13 and the sheep being scattered. And then he moves right on into the coming of the Lord the second time when there'll be a purge of Jacob and two-thirds of Israel will be purged away throughout the time of tribulation and one-third will be safely brought through the fire and they will look on him whom they have pierced and the Lord will return and they will see him and believe and it will be a national conversion. It'll be an amazing thing to see the hearts of stone turn to hearts of flesh, so to speak, to see the Lord open up hearts of Israelites. And that's what he's describing here. And he quotes from Isaiah 59. Now turn back there and take a look at that. Isaiah 59. Uh, he says, all Israel will be saved. The Lord will come. 
He will cleanse. He will purge. He will forgive. And all this is guaranteed by His covenant. And uh, the end of chapter 59 of Isaiah are the verses that Paul reads, or quotes, I should say, in Romans 11. And it's good, I think, to see the context. Uh, the verses themselves, he says, a Redeemer, verse 20, will come to Zion, to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you. And my words which I've put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now on and forever. I'm going to send my Redeemer, and I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change your heart. My spirit and my word are going to transform you. And it'll be for your kids and your grandkids from now on forever. Now, look at the context. Just glance back uh, and look how chapter 59 starts. Throughout this whole era, it's been tempting to think that maybe God won't save Israel. And in fact, you remember, he's writing, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And certainly, what calls itself the church of Rome today has done exactly what Paul said not to do. And much of Protestantism has, has just kind of said, well, God must be done with Israel. Maybe we're Israel, and has just kind of forgotten the, the specific promises that God made to Israel. And so Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. You see, the problem isn't that God can't do what he said he'd do. What is the problem for Israel? Well, verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. And he goes on and describes it throughout the chapter, Israel's unbelief, and there seems to be no human solution. And in fact, Israel's dilemma, there really is none. There's no human solution. You know, most of our lives, in fact, for many of us, our whole life, Israel has been regathered back to the land. But just about every week, it seems, there's new headlines of problems, and it doesn't seem like there's any solution. You know, they're leaving tomorrow, and they're going to meet at Camp David and have yet another summit. But as you read the details of things, it's tenuous. And things, there just seems to be no human solution, and there really is no human solution for the nation uh, apart from God himself. And that's what he ends up saying uh, down in, look at verse 15 of Isaiah 59. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. There's no human solution. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance. And this is a description, almost like Revelation 19, of our Lord's return. When he will come, the deliverer from Zion. According to their deeds, so he will repay, verse 18, wrath to his adversaries and recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun to the east. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion. 
And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant that I'm going to make with them. I'm going to save them, he says. And you read the end of the Bible and you realize Jesus Christ is going to return and he won't come. Humble and mounted on a donkey. He's coming as a victorious warrior. He's coming on a white horse. And he's coming as the triumphant one. And Isaiah says just that. And then if you just read on into chapter 60, he goes into speaking of the millennial blessing that will come through Israel. And Israel will be saved and be a blessing to all the peoples in the millennial kingdom of our Lord. Now, that's what he says as he quotes uh, Isaiah. He says, all Israel's going to be saved. God's going to send the Redeemer. He's going to purge out the sin. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to forgive them. And it's according to my covenant. Now, Paul was saturated with this scripture. We really aren't. And so we maybe, it wouldn't even, the question might not even arise. But Paul was dealing with people who were saying, what about these promises? So it's good for us to go back and look at them and see that he says, no, these are going to be fulfilled. Look over at Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 36 for just a moment. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Through Ezekiel, the Lord said, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name. You see, again, he underlines it. It's not for Israel's sake that he's acting. It's for his character, his holy name. He says, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you've profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. He's going to regather Israel back to the land, and it won't be contingent on the politics of the day or whether the U.S. military budget is big enough or anything like that. He's going to do it, and it's going to be such a tremendous regathering that Jeremiah says in chapter 23 that they'll kind of forget. They won't forget, but they'll, they'll no longer say, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt they'll say, the Lord who gathered us back to the land from all the nations where he'd scattered us when Christ comes. And Jeremiah 23 speaks of both his first coming and his second coming, typically like the prophets do, uh, not mentioning all this time in between. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's a partial hardening that's happened, but God is going to send his son back and he's going to fulfill what he said. If you're still there in Ezekiel, listen to what he said. Verse 25 of chapter 36, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. 
I'm going to do this, he says. And I'll do it for my name's sake. And in Romans, he underlines the part that says, this will be according to my covenant. Look over at the covenant, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Look at Jeremiah 31 and just listen to some of the words of the new covenant that deals with Israel. It opens, the chapter uh, opens with, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Just like uh, Ezekiel's prophecy said, And the Lord appeared to him in verse 3 and said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, I can't help but just stop and, and apply this to our lives today. All of Israel's salvation is a picture of individual salvation. It's always by grace. And God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, Israel. You may not be very lovely, but I've loved you. He, you know, his love for us isn't contingent on us being lovely. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says in John. And he says, Israel, I've loved you. Oh, you've sinned, you've turned away from me, but I'm not done with you. And so this chapter outlines that he's going to claim them back. Verse 13, he says, Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And you think of all the mourning that's happened to Israel through the centuries and all the hardship the nation has endured in their rebellion and unbelief. When God pulls them back, he says, I'm going to turn their mourning into joy. And verse 14, I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. By the way, look at verse 14. What a, what a great description my people will be satisfied with my goodness. Are you, as a Christian, satisfied with His goodness? That's the essence of salvation, is to be satisfied with Him. That's the fruit of salvation in our lives. And that's what's going to happen to the nation. And then over in verse 31, he gets more specific. And he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. I'm going to make a new covenant and it won't be like that old one. And he's speaking of the Mosaic covenant and he says, that one, you remember, and he said back in Deuteronomy, he said, listen, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you, and it'll go great. But if you disobey me, I'll scatter you to the nations. And he says, it's not going to be like that covenant. They broke it, and they got scattered. He says, this new covenant is not going to depend on them. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will believe in Him will not be disappointed. His word is trustworthy. And yes, He is shut up all in disobedience that He might show mercy to all. And so Paul concludes this section by saying, listen, God is trustworthy. He is not finished with Israel. May it never be. If God has said it, he'll perform. And you can be sure as a Christian that when God tells us, as he has through the book of Romans, that we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, that we've been justified by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from Him, that we have eternal life, that He is for us, no one can be against us. You can be sure He means what He says. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.